All right, you may be seated. Welcome. Thank you for being here on a Labor Day weekend Sunday. It's great to see all of you. I want to say a couple of happy birthdays. Evangelina's birthday, I think, was yesterday or the day before. Evangelina Phillips and also Josiah and Luke, who are back in the crowd room. I think they had a birthday in the past week or so as well. So happy birthday uh, to those kiddos. Any of you adults who had happy birthdays this week as well, uh, happy birthday to you. Uh, so last week was supposed to be the final week of the sermon series we have been doing this summer on Jesus. The plan for this morning's service was to have a time of praise and prayer. This is what we have done the previous three years on Labor Day Sunday. And for a variety of reasons, that original plan was not working out well this week. I suspect the main issue was that God had other plans, but I was having a hard time reconciling myself to that fact. So after feeling frustrated for a couple of days, I realized, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should take a minute here and ask God what he wants. And within a short amount of time, I realized that with a high degree of confidence that what God wanted or what I felt confident that God wanted uh, was for us to continue for one more week in this sermon series that we have been doing this summer. My hope is that we will, able, we will be able to do a service of praise and prayer later this fall. Once I got on board with the change, I became very excited about preaching this week. I thought that last week was going to be the final week of me preaching about Jesus for that series we've been doing. Actually, in the introduction to last week's sermon, I mentioned how many more sermons on Jesus we could preach. We could just go on endlessly. We could talk about how Jesus is the healer or the alpha and the omega. There are endless amount of things we could say about Jesus. So I was excited to get to explore that a little more. After a bit of prayer, the role of Jesus I felt I needed to preach on this week became obvious. I felt compelled to preach on Jesus as the reconciliation. That will be our focus today. So if you would please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we will read verses 16 through 21. Those verses will be projected on the screen behind me. They can also be found in your pew Bible on page 908. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, 
God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. There is so much profound truth in these verses, it is hard to fathom. Each sentence is a revelation in and of itself. Actually, each clause of each sentence could have a book written about it. Sometimes preaching can feel a little bit like Moses trying to get water out of the rock. Other times, it feels more like Noah trying to make sense of the flood. These verses present a flood of truth in a very small amount of words. Drinking out of a fire hose might be a better analogy. The implications of Jesus being the reconciliation for us are astounding. Through Jesus, our reconciliation, we are made new. We see differently. The world is changed. We become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the reconciliation that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God. We are then supposed to reconcile the world to God. This is almost too much to bear. Which truth that springs out of Jesus' recon revolutionary reconciling work is the most significant, is hard to establish. What is abundantly clear is that Christians are a new creation with a new responsibility to be ambassadors of Christ because we have been reconciled and are being reconciled. Through Jesus Christ, God has reconciled Christians to himself. All people are separated from God by their trespasses. We talk about this separation a good amount. The divide between God and man is significant. It is a problem with no solution other than Jesus. Every area of human existence is impacted by this separation. Back when I was at my previous job as a pastor in Newburyport, I got invited to participate in this monthly social service collaborative. Each month, representatives from all the social service providers would get together to strategize how to best help those struggling with issues of poverty in the area. I was present because they wanted clergy participation. I 
quickly became frustrated with these meetings. The people present were well-intentioned, they were smart, they just didn't have the resources to solve the main problem that every meeting ended up being about. The issue was a lack of affordable housing in the Newburyport area. I can't imagine this problem has improved much in the past five years as the cost of housing has doubled and even tripled in some cases. Until some solution could be figured out to the housing problem, everything else we could offer as, as social service providers was incapable of changing the lives of the people we wanted to help. When it comes to our world, we have a host of problems. Poverty, wars, loneliness, addiction, and political turmoil, the list is endless. The core problem is the divide between man and God. Until some solution to that problem became available, no other problem could be truly solved. Any solutions that don't address the core problem will have a limited impact. You will find people that advocate for all sorts of solutions. Educa educational, environmental, economic, engineering, or some combination. Now we should try to have the best approaches in all areas, while recognizing that even the best approaches don't address the issue from which all other issues spring forth. The division between God and man is the root cause of every other issue that arises in the world. Jesus is the reconciliation between God and man. Addressing the divide that existed was not a simple matter. Jesus, who was God, had to become man. He became one of us. This is not an easy solution in and of itself. Jesus couldn't just be an average Joe. Being a decent person is hard enough. Jesus couldn't just be decent. He had to be perfect. Every step towards perfection is an exponentially harder step to make. We are reminded of this whenever we see any person perform music or in athletics or in any other area. The difference between the 5,000th best guitarist in the world and the 500th is significantly less than the difference between the 50th and the 5th. Jesus perfectly succeeded at being human. Nobody else has ever even come close. 
I've said this before, Jesus is not the amount better at being human that Michael Jordan is better than me at playing basketball. It would be more reasonable to compare Jesus' ability to be human relative to any other person who has ever lived with my ability to drive a car compared to the ability of my six-year-old son's ability to drive a car. Even that doesn't communicate the difference between every other person that has ever existed and Christ. While I am much better at driving a car than my son Ezra, I still make mistakes all the time. I could still wreck the car. I could still get caught speeding. Notice I say get caught. <laughs> when it comes to being human, Jesus didn't make mistakes. Jesus was perfect. Then, for our sake, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. All our trespasses were put onto Jesus. He who was perfect was made sinful. Jesus didn't become sinful like you or I. God made him to be sin. The perfect person of Christ became so associated with sin as to be inseparable from it. This happened for our sake. The most well-known statement of the motivation for this exchange is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love resulted in Jesus taking on our trespasses so that the division that divided man from God could be overcome. There has never been a greater act of love. Jesus' act of reconciliation on the cross for our sake means we, who are in Christ, are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Those who have been reconciled are different than they were before. It is incorrect to think of Christians as just being a variation of what it means to be human. In recent years, a breed of dogs known as golden doodles has become very popular. You see these dogs everywhere. These dogs are a combination of a poodle and a golden retriever, which sounds terrible, but they're actually pretty cute. The reason the breed is so popular is because they are supposed to have the personalities of golden retrievers and the hypoallergenic fur of a, pu of a poodle. I actually found a fun fact about this this week. The, the first people, one of the first people to breed poodles and golden retrievers intentionally is a woman named Monica Dix, uh, Dickens, excuse me. She is the great granddaughter of Charles Dickens, 
It has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just for your, for your information. And I was, I was like, wow, genius really runs in this family. They've got something going there. While golden doodles may be a new variation of dog, they are still dogs. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Christians are a new species of human. Their spiritual DNA has changed. You can still see what we were, but we are not what we once were. Christians are a new creation. Our new creation status changes the way we see the world. This different perspective starts with Jesus. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. There are many ways to look at Jesus according to the flesh. He could be seen as a great teacher, a deluded mystic, or an outright charlatan. Those who no longer see Jesus through the flesh will have seen him for what he is. God's son, the savior of the world, and the reconciliation we needed. Every true Christian has seen the truth of Jesus Christ. Our new vision impacts the way we see everything. Every person is a spiritual being that still bears God's image. Through Christ, we can see the people we interact with every day as they actually are. Spiritually broken creatures that are doing their best to find truth, love, and security. The way any person portrays themselves to the world is a strategy for meeting deep-rooted spiritual needs. The teen girl that wears as little as possible and the businessman that overextends himself financially to buy a sports car, they're both doing the same thing. They're both trying to meet unmet spiritual needs. The Christian can see these acts of desperate attention-seeking for what they are. Unfortunately, Christians often fail to live as a new creation. You see this especially in the way we regard the people we run into. We so often reject others for their ridiculous actions from a fleshly perspective instead of acknowledging their heartbreaking spiritual need. We fail to be a new creation. Jesus' reconciliation on our behalf is supposed to mean we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. 
We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Those are not my words. That is what Paul wrote. This is a huge job. You may have noticed the world still needs a decent amount of reconciling. Over the past 2,000 years, a lot of progress has been made. 2.38 billion people in the world today identify as Christians. While many of these people are Christians in name only, there are many who are new creations in Christ. There is still a tremendous amount of work to be done. The world population is 7.9 billion people. Even if every person who claimed to be a Christian actually was one, we still have 5.5 billion people worldwide who knew who need to be reconciled to God. To continue the work of reconciling the world through Jesus, we must become an extension of him. Again, I'm not the one saying this. In Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He made it possible for us to be like Jesus. We have been given the capacity to accomplish the huge task we have been given. The truth is the closest experience of Jesus, most of the people you run into on a daily basis will have is you. Maybe think about that the next time you're hitting post on social media. Maybe think about that the next time you, you go to work or you go to school. Our righteousness or lack of it has significant repercussions. Paul implores us on behalf of Christ to be fully reconciled to God. I, wait, I thought you just said earlier we already were reconciled. Yeah, that's true. I was repeating what Paul wrote. Now I'm repeating another statement he made. These verses are one of those places in Scripture where Paul utilizes what is known as an indicative imperative grammatical construction. An indicative sentence makes a statement of fact. If I say, you are wet, I am making indicative statement. An imperative statement is a command. That would be like me saying, jump in the pool. In his letters, Paul will often state as an indicative what God has done followed by an imperative. 
which says what Christians should do, is almost like he is saying, you are wet already, now go jump in the pool and actually be wet. Well, which is it? What am I currently? In these verses, Paul says, we have been reconciled. And then he commands us to be reconciled. Verse 18 indicates the former. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 commands the latter. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is communicating what God sees and what God expects of us. It is true Christians have been made righteous by Jesus' reconciliation from God's perspective. It is no less true that Christians have work to do to experience a fully reconciled righteousness. Our effectiveness as ambassadors in this world will depend on the extent to which we are reconciled to God. God is making his appeal through us. How does the truth God works through people function with his sovereignty? We could have a fascinating theological discussion on just that subject. If, if you want to chat about that, I, I love to have those types of conversations. However, the job God has given us works with God's oversight of that task I know, I know I have a job to do. I find a lot of times that people that like to talk about these, these more philosophical issues, it seems like it's almost an excuse to not do the job itself. The job itself is absolutely clear, even if our understanding of how it works may not be. I am to be an ambassador of Christ appealing to the world on his behalf, as are you. Every Christian has the same task. To do this task, we must be reconciled to God. If you lack any motivation to be an ambassador of God in the way these verses describe, you should remember two things stated in verse 21. The first is that for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. We had no options before Jesus. There are no options now other than Jesus. The love God showed us should motivate our reciprocal love. The second motivating factor is the privilege we enjoy. Being the righteousness of God is no small thing. It is an honor we in no way have earned the right to pursue for ourselves. We should want to be all that God has made possible for us to be. There is no higher calling. 
Last week, in what I thought was the final sermon for this series, I preached on Jesus being the judge. It, it seemed like a good place to end. I'm glad it wasn't the last sermon in the series. It is true that Jesus will judge all in the future. He will also finish the work of reconciliation. He has reconciled all Christians. Through us, somehow, the world is being reconciled to God. The premise of this whole sermon series is that our theology, what we know to be true about God, should change the way we think and act. Through Jesus, God makes Christians a new creation. The way we see Jesus and everything else changes, we regard no one according to the flesh. Our actions, our thoughts reflect our calling as God's ambassadors. Christians are called to become the righteousness of God in all we do, preaching the message of Jesus, reconciliation through our words and actions. Let's conclude by reading verses 18 and 19 from today's text again. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you have given us, your people, a tremendous responsibility, a tremendous privilege to reconcile this world to you, to be an extension of the work that Jesus Christ has already done on our behalf. Unlike Christ, we so often fall short of our calling. We are reconciled, but we fail to be fully reconciled. I pray that you would be with us. I pray that the grace and truth of Jesus Christ would continue to work in each of our lives, that we would see the people that we interact with on a daily basis differently. That we would see their hurt and their pain and their frustration, Lord. And that we would respond with love and grace and truth, that we would be a means by which this world is reconciled to you as you have commanded for us to be. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.